Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you out. Can you believe that we are already a month after the shortest day? And it is almost just a mere 11 months till Christmas. It's... What's that? Yeah, yeah. This is awesome. You know, the thing is, I love it when January disappears fast. I am not a fan of January. But even this is maybe moving a little quick for me. Anyway, we're also, not only is it all those things, but it is also week three of our series in Colossians. And so we've been going through a book as we've started out the new year, the book of Colossians, and we're doing it section by section where we're not paying attention really to the chapters or the verses Specifically, we're just going through it as it's broken down into the sections that you probably find in your Bible uh, this morning. And so this week we are looking at the section that starts in chapter 1, verse 24, and we're going to go through until chapter 2, verse 5. So uh, if you do look in your Bible and you see a heading there for this section, it'll probably say something along the lines of Paul's labor for the church or Paul's work for the church. And I just want to encourage you not to get distracted by that this morning. Sometimes we'll look at that and we'll think, well, yeah, Paul was an apostle and he, he was a you know, pastor, t- preacher type guy and he worked for the church and therefore this is all kind of about what he did and it doesn't really apply to me. And I want to discourage you from that perspective this morning. As a matter of fact, if I had the option to, to actually head this section myself, I would call it Paul's Manifesto. A public declaration from Paul about his objectives and his intentions for life. And as we come to this section, it's important that we not launch into it kind of half-baked and insipid. Okay? You know, Paul, Paul didn't approach anything in his life kind of lukewarmly. You know, if you would ask them in the evening, Paul, hey, what would you like to drink? He would say something along the lines, I'm sure it would be something like, tonight I shall have tea. You know, because he just didn't do, well, maybe a cup of tea. And that's not because he was dramatic, but because Paul is passionate about what he believes. And everything that I find of Paul, he is committed to it, and he goes for it all out. And so as we come to this section, then we need to understand that he's just come through this tour de force of doctrine as he's unpackaged the identity of Jesus Christ, as, as Ryan unpacked it for us last week. And so he's, he's talking about Jesus Christ as the image of the invisible God, that is, God in the flesh. And he's talking about that by God, everything was created. And by God, everything is held together. And that 
He is supreme over everything. And that in Christ, we find the reconciliation, peace with God, the Father. And so he comes through that and he lays that out there. And now he comes to verse 24 and he says, now, based on that foundation, based on who Jesus Christ is, based on what he has done, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul, I've mentioned before, does not like periods. He lives with commas. Just as his mind blows up with the topic that he is trying to unpack. Awesome. It's awesome. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Let's just pray one more time. Father, this morning, again, just as Darren said, we need you. By your spirit this morning, I would ask that you would come and that you would work in our hearts and our minds. Lord, would you give us ears to hear from you today, that you would be able to speak into us, that you would move us from where we are to another level yet toward you, in likeness of you, that we would hear from you today, that you would be able to make this relevant and practical for us in such a way that we wouldn't just hear, but then we would apply that we would take what we learned through Paul and that we would adopt it, we would appropriate it into our lives and that as we do, that we would become a better likeness of you, of your son Jesus. And in his name I pray these things. Amen. This morning as we come to this section, we find a common theme that we find throughout Scripture as it pertains to us and our faith. The whole idea that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are going to suffer for our faith. Now we know that that's the case. We know that we are going to suffer on account of our faith because Jesus told us that in John 16.33 where he said, in this world you will have trouble. And we have talked about that before. We did a series on suffering a couple years ago. And then last year as we looked at the book of 1 Peter, we also came in contact again with this theme of suffering, and we unpacked it a little bit more then. 
So this morning, I'm not going to take a whole bunch of time to dive into suffering. But I want to take an opportunity to point out some things that I think are significant. A bit of a tangent, but I think that it will weave back into where we are going this morning. We are very quickly in our society, in our land, approaching the time when we are going to see the suffering that comes on account of our faith increasing. The landscape of our nation is changing dramatically and very rapidly. Courts and governments are taking increasingly definitive stands against what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, we are going to be forced very soon to incur penalty for choosing to stay true to those tenets of our belief as we adhere to the truth. You're likely aware that the federal government has announced recently that only groups that are of like mind to their policies on abortion and sexuality will be granted funds under the Canada Summer Student Summer Job Program. That if you do not adhere to the government's perspective on abortion and sexuality, that you no longer qualify for money from them. Just before Christmas, the Saskatoon Public School Division announced, along with Newfoundland and Labrador, the English school division in Newfoundland and Labrador, that they will no longer be subscribing as school divisions to Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Child program. Newfoundland and Labrador came out and defined why. And they said that it is on account of Samaritan's Purse's policy regarding marriage and sexuality not being in keeping with their division's quote-unquote, philosophy of inclusion. And we are currently awaiting the Supreme Court decision on the Trinity Western University case, in which case they've been arguing about Trinity Western being able to start a law faculty. And those against it saying that they shouldn't be allowed to because of their community standards policy, whereby they had maintain where they outline in that policy that marriage is the institution between a man and a woman and that any sexual activity outside of that union is incorrect and wrong. We are passing from the point in our society where it has become okay to penalize those that hold to a traditional Judeo-Christian belief structure to where it is now unacceptable not to. Let me say that again. We are passing from the point where it has been acceptable to penalize those that adhere to a Judeo-Christian perspective and principles to a point where it is unacceptable not to penalize them. The day is dawn 
where it is going to cost us for our faith, to follow our faith. Not from outside sources, but from within, from our own government and our fellow citizens. It's going to cost us in ways that we haven't experienced before to follow Jesus. I think this morning that this is coming directly on account of our unwillingness in the past to suffer for the sake of our faith. We have been unwilling to suffer the embarrassment of speaking up for the truth with those that don't know or agree. To the point now where truth is no longer understood to be intrinsic and absolute, but where it has become relevant. Relative, excuse me. Relative to each and every one of us as we define it. And we hear the likes of Oprah Winfrey spouting off about speaking your truth. The question to ask is when someone talks about their truth, is, is that true for me as well? And what happens there, very quickly, is we find that it is not truth at all. Because what's true is true for you, for me, for everybody, because it is truth. And when it's only true for you, and only true for you, and not true for me, or not true for you, then it's opinion. And we've become, where we come to this point, because we've been unwilling to even risk the possibility of having to suffer for sharing our faith. Unwilling to risk even the potential of suffering for speaking up for Jesus Christ and pointing people to Him. And now we find ourselves in a predicament where our society is not just on a different page, but where they are trying to tear our page out of their book. Now you might be sitting here this morning and saying, I hear that, Doug, but at this point, what can I do? What can I do to change a government? What can I do to change a court system structure? And I would respond that this battle was not lost at the level of our government. It has not been lost at the level of our courts. This battle has been lost at our level, yours and mine, individually. It's been lost where we as fathers have failed to take responsibility for the spiritual well-being of our families. It's been lost where we as mothers have overlooked our responsibility to nurture our children in the faith and to grow them and teach them in the ways of Jesus Christ. 
It's been lost as together we have abandoned our responsibility to stand up and speak up for Jesus Christ in a society that does not know him. And this morning, though that is the bad news, the good news is this, that while we have lost these battles, we have not yet lost the war. And there is hope for us as a country, as a nation, as a society, if we change our perspective today on suffering. Which brings us back to the text. Verse 24, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. From the outset, we need to understand one thing. Paul here is not saying that what Christ did was insufficient. That the suffering that he endured right up to and including the cross is not insufficient. He's not saying that at all. As a matter of fact, as we pointed out at the beginning of the, of the series, Paul is arguing in this book to the Colossians who are being dissuaded from this by some outside teaching where they're questioning and they're starting to have concerns. He is arguing that what Christ has done is wholly sufficient for our salvation. So it's not that there was an insufficiency there, but rather, instead, he is talking about the idea of where he is perhaps for fulfilling a quota of suffering that has been assigned to him as a follower of Jesus Christ. That maybe perhaps we all, as followers of Jesus Christ, have a quota of suffering that we might be called to endure. Or, perhaps he is saying that he is continuing in the model of Jesus Christ who suffered for the sake of the church. Either and or. In any event, what we need to take away this morning is that Paul is practicing here what James preaches in James chapter 1 verse 2. There he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Paul, Paul sees James and agrees that this suffering business, I rejoice in it. Paul says, I wear it like a badge of honor, celebrating the fact that Somehow, in God's goodness and grace, he has been deemed worthy by Christ himself to pick up where Christ left off, suffering for the church. And now, because of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, Paul says, it's okay, it is desirable, I rejoice in the suffering because I get to participate in what Christ himself participated in himself on our behalf. And knowing, moreover, even beyond that, knowing 
That not only can he identify with Christ, but that in that suffering, that Christ is changing him and conforming him into his own image. That God is using this suffering to accomplish in Paul something that will make him like Jesus Christ in his person. Now, there's a thought for us to chew on this morning as we come to this passage. Have we come to the point, have you and I come to the point where we are so persuaded of our need to become like Christ, where we are so convinced of that as a priority in our lives that we see suffering as a desirable means to that end? Are you you at that point today? Here's what I know. You should go home today. You need to go home this afternoon. And you need to thank God that we have Paul to pastor us today. Because I am not at that point. I'm not there. When it comes to suffering in my life, more than not, I come to God and I say, oh, please, God, would you let this cup pass from me? Oh, Lord, is there something that you could do so that I wouldn't have to go through this? So that I wouldn't have to experience that? And Paul is saying, he's teaching us that no No, 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 Doug, you can't stay there. By the grace of God, little by little, I'm beginning to understand and appreciate what Paul has to say. And I in no way, not even remotely, Do I resemble the suffering that Paul has had to go through on on account of the church? I'm not saying that. But in this little bit that I know, in this tiny bit of experience that I've had, I'm starting to understand the value of suffering in my life and why it's desirable. Not so that I can be some sort of masochist running about just suffering for the sake of suffering. But because I understand that God can do in me things through suffering that he cannot accomplish any other way. And that beyond that, that then he can do through me more things that would help in the world around me. And here's something else that I... I'm coming to understand and believe that when together we get there, that when together you and I get to that point where we see suffering as desirable and we will actually stand up and enlist in that, that God comes along and things start to happen. Because this is what I think it means. When God's calling us to be humble, this is a big part 
of what he's calling us to in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, when he says that if my people who are called by my name, God speaking here, if they will humble themselves, if they will come to the point where they are ready to suffer, where they see it as a valuable thing for themselves and for those around them, their brothers and sisters in Christ and the greater world at large, when we get to that point, and when they pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And that's what we need today. Carrying on. Verses 24 to 27, Paul's mission, he says here. Paul says that he is suffering for the sake of the church, which is for you and I. That is us. That he is not suffering for no point, but he is suffering for our good. And we're going to talk about more of that in a minute. So let's carry on. Because he carries on himself and says that, and it's also for the purpose of presenting to us the word of God in fullness and the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. Paul's saying, he's speaking about Jesus, that he is suffering so that he can present to us Jesus in his fullness, the word of God in his fullness, that scripture in its fullness is Jesus Christ. And the mystery that he's talking about is Jesus Christ. That down through the ages, the prophets had been pointing to a coming Messiah. That in that Messiah, that they understood that they would be, their, all things would be reconciled, that they would be resolved. That the children of Israel, the things would be settled for them. And so the prophets pointed to that coming Messiah. But the identity was unknown. It was just that someday, somewhere, the Messiah would come. And now, Paul is pointing out that that day is here now. It's come. Jesus was him. It's no longer a mystery, but that mystery has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And that in him we have the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. That we can have peace with God the Father through Him. And that through Jesus Christ we are reconciled to God when we place our faith in Him. And ultimately, that fullness of the Word of God, that mystery being revealed, leads us to the point where we ultimately have the reward of Christ living in us and us living with Him for eternity. This morning, that's not just Paul's mission. We can't leave that with Paul. We have to take up that mission ourselves. That is now for you and I to carry on with into our world. In the same way that Paul did it in his. And the way that he continues to speak and encourage it to us now. To reveal to the world around us, to one another the fullness of Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And to unpackage that mystery so that we could all come to know and understand. Verse 28, moving on to chapter 2, verse 1. Paul's objective, he says, in revealing to us the fullness of Christ is that 
This would bring everyone to full maturity in Christ. Not that we would just have now the answers, but that we would be a different people on account of this. That each one of us would grow up in our maturity. That would be to say that we would change the way that we live, believe, and act. To be like Christ. And that's Paul's objective, is to get us all onto that same page at that level. Here again, that is not just Paul's mission. By the Great Commission, we understand that you and I are called to the same thing today. To go out into the world and make disciples. Leading everyone as best we can towards full maturity in Jesus Christ. How? How do we do that? Paul is so good as to unpack that for us here. Paul gives us a model to follow. First by proclaiming, then by admonishing, and then by teaching. We can adopt the same. We need to adopt the same model today. We need to begin to proclaim Jesus Christ to the world around us. The time has come where we need to stand up now, if we're ever going to, and proclaim Jesus Christ, draw attention to Him, to those around us, point to Jesus Christ, who He is, and what He has done to our friends, to our neighbors, to our classmates, to our families. As we do, He will draw them to Himself. And from there, Paul carries on that we, be, we need to admonish. Admonish them. Admonish means to caution, advise, or counsel against, to reprove, or urge to a duty. We don't like the word admonish today. We don't like especially to be admonished, gently chastised. Even that doesn't float our boats. Thankfully, Paul didn't have any particular problem with that. We don't want to be corrected, but Paul says that we need it. That when we are off the mark a little bit, when we're out of line, that somebody needs to come alongside of us, and we need to come alongside each other and gently correct back. Say, listen, hold on a second, Doug. Dude, I hear you talking, but I'm not seeing you walking the way that I think you need to. I need that in my life. I need to be admonished. We can't shy away. We can't just kind of let that slide anymore. Because that's where that's, this has got us. We need to come alongside one another. Gently correct. Look awkwardness in the face and engage. And then, we need to teach. We need to help each other to understand. That is different than just telling everyone what to believe. We've done that too over the years. We've stepped away from our responsibility to teach because that takes time and energy. We're going to talk about that in a second. We just tell our kids what to believe. Here's what you believe. This, 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 this. You do that, 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 that. You don't do this, 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 and the other. 
And we don't give them the grounds, the, the, the means by which to understand it and stand on it. And so when they come to the turmoil and the confusion of a world messed up, then they get blown off the course because they've never been taught. They've just been told. Paul says, we need to proclaim, we need to admonish, we need to teach one another. Then he says, I am working hard to that end. I am, I am strenuously engaged in this process, which is another note to file, Doug, that this can't be some mamby-pamby endeavor that I embark on, that this isn't something that I do as a hobby, that it's not something that I try and fill in around the cracks of my life, but that this become a central tenant of my life and that I engage in it with all kinds of energy and vigorousness in order to accomplish this as a priority because of the stakes that are in place. What's at risk? And so Paul says, I am going for this all out. We need to hear that today. This can't be the the second thought. This can't be the thing that I get to if it, if it works out and if I have time. We need to bring it first and foremost, center of our lives. Never let it be said that FBC preaches a cheap gospel because the gospel's going to cost us. It's going to cost us in the way that we live. It's going to cost us in what we have to do and endure. It isn't cheap. And we understand and know that it is worth it, however, by the price that we're called to pay on account of it. It's not cheap, but it is that worth it. So Paul says, I am going for it. I am working hard to this end. I am sold out and committed. We need to be as well. Verses 2 and 3. Paul says, he breaks it down one more level, takes it down one more step so that we can understand this, we can begin to apply. He says, my goal to lead them into full maturity in Christ are these two things. I have two goals to that end. Number one, to encourage them in heart. He's speaking to the Colossians. Remember, there's been some teaching going on that's beginning to, to, to distract them, to discourage them. They're questioning who Jesus is, what he has done, if, that is, if he is sufficient for their salvation. And so Paul comes along and says, I'm encouraging them in heart, number one. Number two, I want them to be united in love together. Their love for one another, that it would unite them. That they would be unified, not fractured, not splintered, but unified. So, he says, so that they have the full riches that come from the complete understanding of Christ and personally knowing Him. Because in Jesus, in Him, we find the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul gives us those goals to adopt for ourselves, that we would encourage one another in heart. At that point, the heart was understood to be the center of one's will and reasoning. It wasn't just the emotional. 
It was what I believe, what I hold to as true. And therefore, he comes along, Paul says, I'm going to encourage them in, in that. I am going to try and address their doubts. I'm going to speak to their questions. I'm going to instill confidence in them, in Jesus Christ. We need to do that ourselves. You and I need to come alongside one another where we find somebody that is, that is shaking in their faith, that has questions, has concerns, has doubts, is confused. We need to come alongside and encourage them. Tell them about the doubts that you've had, how God has spoken to you, addressed you with those things, built you up, encouraged you, brought you through. Where there's confusion, speak into that. Help them to understand and know that they would have that confidence and assurance. And then we need to unite them in love. Which is to say that where we are ready to suffer for the sake of each other, those of us around us, where I am at that point where that I don't stand on my, my, my rights and demand that you do things my way. And where when things don't break the way that I think that they should, where my perspective isn't the one that wins the day, that instead of campaigning otherwise, trying to distract and discourage and detour people away, that instead that I would lean in and, and for the sake of everyone, participate in whatever it is that we're doing. Even if I don't think it's going to be as good as it would have been if it was my way, that I wouldn't pull back away from it and keep it from being all that it could be anyway. I need to engage, put aside those things, suffer that. The frustration of not getting it my way. Suffer. The hassle and the aggravation of not being able to do it as efficiently as I think it could be done. Suffer. The pain and humility of having to suck it up. And wear some mess that could have been avoided in my mind. I have, to, I have to be united in love so that together the objective that we have as individuals and as a church of making Jesus Christ known and growing to fulfill, full maturity in Him, that that not be sacrificed or thwarted, but that it, we would accomplish that for your sake and for the sake of the church, because it is contingent. Listen to this. That they would be encouraged, that I would encourage them in heart, unite them in love. So it's contingent then, it's contingent that these things be in place so that they could have the full riches that come from the complete understanding of Christ and personally knowing Him, because in Him we find the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When we are united, when we are encouraged in, in our hearts, convinced and moving forward in Jesus Christ 
Then we get to find the fullness of the full riches of his wisdom and knowledge in our lives. And when we're not, when we're not solid in our faith and when we're not united in love, then we pay the price. First ourselves individually, but then us also corporately as a church. Paul's manifesto needs to be our manifesto. His labor for the church needs to be yours and my labor for the church. For the sake of each one of us, that we would all grow into the full maturity of Jesus Christ so that he could reveal to us the real deal about life, the truth. Let's pray. Father, this morning. God, would you do for us what you've done for Paul? Work in our hearts and our minds. Convince us, God, of the benefit of suffering, that we would step into it, that we would sign up for it, that we would participate in it for ourselves and for our other brothers and sisters in you. For us as a church, God, help us to grow forward towards full maturity in you. Lord, I know we're, as a church we're doing well, but there is more that can be had for each one here, for us corporately and for the world around us. I pray these things. I ask that you would bless each one here to that end. And particularly, God, first and foremost, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, and I ask these things in his name alone, amen. Have a great week. Ryan's going to pick it up here from here next week.